All right, last week we were looking at Balaam and Balak. We saw that Balaam went to the Lord and he said, should I go with them? And the Lord said, no, don't go. Those are a blessed people. You can't curse them. So he didn't, he didn't go. He came down and said, I can't go with you. And so they went on. Then the next time they sent the delegation, and we told you before, they're about 400 miles of traveling. That's not just around the block. And he said, uh, well, the Lord told me I can't go, but if you want to stay here, I'll tell you what he says in the morning. The Lord came to him and said, if the men come to you, go with them. And so the men did not come to him. He just saddled his donkey and went. And on the way, God was upset with him for going because he had gone with the wrong attitude. He changed his purpose in going. He took on his own purpose instead of the purpose of God. He was looking to make some, make some money out of it. And we know that more from other verses of Scripture than just from here, which we will look at here today. One of the verses I didn't put in your outline, you can write this down if you want to look it up later. Deuteronomy 23, 4 and 5. Because they did not meet you with bread, speaking of the Midianites, because they did not meet you with bread and water on the road when you came out of Egypt, and because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, from Pathor of Mesopotamia to curse you. Nevertheless, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loves you. So that would indicate that the purpose that he had in going was a little bit different than uh, what he was portraying it as. Let's pick up here at Numbers 24, verse 1. Now when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as at other times to seek to use sorcery. But he set his face toward the wilderness. And Balaam raised his eyes and saw Israel encamped according to their tribes, and the Spirit of God came upon them, upon him. Now this word here for sorcery is an interesting word. It is used a number of times in the Old Testament. Of course, it's a Hebrew word. If you look at this same word in the noun, it's the word that is translated serpent in Genesis chapter 3. Same word, just just uh, used in a noun form instead of this uh, this form here, where it's talking about using sorcery. More of an, uh, uh, an active, not, a, not speaking of something in particular. Some of the ways that this was, was translated, one of them was to diligently observe or diligently seek was one way in which it was translated. But there was a number of times that this is used for uh, some type of, uh, I don't know if we would call it sorcery, but uh, divining, incantations, uh, ceremonies to, uh, to conjure up the things of, of God. It would seem that Balaam didn't just seek after the Lord, but he used some kind of tricks that he, he would do. Now, now, by tricks, I don't mean that he was uh, doing potions or uh, mixing up uh, funny things, anything like that. It was more of a, sometimes Christians can even do this, in which we, we feel, well, if I do these particular things, I can connect with God. And that's not the, the way that we connect with God. We don't connect with Him by doing certain things. We connect with God by hearing His voice and being, being connected with Him. So he didn't quite do that in the, the first time. So we saw that he went away. We, he wasn't doing any kind of thing that we would call sorcery. He wasn't trying to um, make some kind of a potion or uh, some of the things we would associate with that. But he did withdraw himself. And it seems like he went through a routine that he did to contact the Spirit. But this particular time, he saw what the Lord wanted or what pleased the Lord. And so he didn't exactly do that. Now, I'm not saying that what he did was okay. I'm saying that it wasn't quite what we're thinking of in the area of sorcery. That you don't contact God through this particular medium. 
So when he, when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as at other times to seek to use sorcery, but he set his face toward the wilderness. Now the first two times, it said in the word of God that the Lord, when he went away and separated himself from the, the people that were there, he went away, the Lord put a word in his mouth. You remember that? Both times he used that same phraseology. The, the Lord put a word in his mouth. It does not use that phraseology here. And Milam raised his eyes and saw Israel encamped according to their tribes and the Spirit of God came upon him. This is the different terminology here. It says the Spirit of God came upon him. Now that's different from the God putting a word in his mouth. This seems to be uh, something stronger than what had occurred before. So God didn't just give him a word to speak. He actually came upon him on this. Now, as we told you, Balaam is a bad guy. He will be killed before this whole thing is over. He's, he's not a good guy. And it causes people confusion because God is using him. Has that ever caused you confusion? Why is God using this guy when he's a bad guy? Why does the word of God speak through him when he's a bad guy? God is, is willing to use people because he wants to win them over. His goal is to bring them back. When we finish with Balaam here in these chapters, he has not put himself in a position to be judged by God. He will, but he hasn't yet. See, there are people that are walking in a bad direction. They're not going in the right direction. They may go to church. They may even pray and read the Word of God, but they're going in a bad direction. God doesn't just cut them off. He reaches out to them. He constantly speaks to them. He's trying to bring them back because he doesn't desire that anyone should perish. So he's going after them to try and bring them bring them on in. He's going after Balaam to bring him into the fold, not to have him go off in a, in a wrong direction. So don't let this uh, throw you, nor let it throw you when you see certain ministers of God that God has spoken through and God has done some things through go in a wrong direction. It doesn't mean that what God spoke to him was wrong. Doesn't mean that you have to throw everything out. Whatever they spoke that was in, in line with the Word of God, and, uh, and of course came about, those those things are fine. Don't throw all those things out. Those things were were of God, and He spoke to us. Glory to God for it. So, there are some ministers they had tremendous healing ministries. Trem- I mean, things went on and in, in the in the ministries. Uh, you can think of some names like A. A. Allen. A.A. A. Allen was so well known for the meetings that he had on, he would t- say on his radio program, all you had to do was say A.A. A. Allen and the city. And that's it. He was big enough that everybody knew where it had to go. Can you imagine that? The post office says, oh, A.A. A. Allen. Yeah, we know where that goes. <laughs> you don't need any other address on it. I forget, he was in Texas somewhere, but some city in, in, in Texas, you just put that in there. And he would even say that on the radio. Now, I'm, I'm sure the post office wouldn't like it if he said that on the radio today. But back then, I don't think they, they cared quite as much. So you say just A.A. A. Allen and the city and the, and the state, and it would get there. That's how well-known he was. And tremendous healing things had gone on there. But he he uh, fell off at the end. He went in the wrong direction. It doesn't mean that everything that he did was wrong or that God didn't use him. It means that he went in a bad direction at the end. And uh, sometimes we've we've done that. But... Don't let us destroy you. God will use whomever he can use. Now, God did not send this man on a mission. Remember, we we told you that he was looking for permission to go. But God prefers that you be on a mission. God had no mission for him going out there. Because he did not need Balaam to bless his people. His people were already blessed. 
but he was looking for permission to get out there. And he finally got what he thought was permission and he went. And the closer he got to going, the more he got excited he got about what he could get. And he was going after it for, for that. So anyway, let's go on with verse 3. Then he took up his oracle and said, The utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, the utterance of the man whose eyes are opened, the utterance of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, and who falls down with eyes wide open. How lovely. He's describing himself here in, in that one. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your dwelling, your dwellings, O Israel. Like valleys that stretch out like gardens by the riverside, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters, he shall pour water from his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. Now when he says there, his, his king shall be higher than Agag. This is a prophetic message that Balaam is getting, that he received from the Lord, that says the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And he's speaking some things. Now, Agag, if you go through the word of God, there is a king who has what seems to be the name Agag. Except that seems to be a title for the Amalekite kings. Much like Pharaoh was a title for the Egyptian kings, Agag seems to be a title for the Amalekite kings. So what he is saying is that the king that comes from Israel will be more powerful than the most powerful king in the most powerful kingdom of that day. So that's why he's using uh, that one. That was their their God. largest kingdom, strongest uh, adversary. It was the Amalekites. And so he says their king, the one that comes out of Israel, is, is going to be greater. Now here's what throws some people off. Why is we talking about kings come out of Israel? They weren't supposed to have a king. Remember that? And they said we wouldn't have become kings like all the other nations. Well, the king that he's referring to is not King David or King Saul or any of the other kings. It's King Jesus. He was the one that was supposed to come out of there. He was the scepter that was to rule. He shall pour water from his buckets. Basically, a better way to translate that is is that his buckets shall overflow. There will be an overflow in there. And his seed shall be in many waters. And that particular phrase, I did some study on it, and uh, no one seems to agree or really understand what phraseology he's using there. It, it means something to the people of the day. It's one of those uh, uh, idioms, I guess, that you would use that, that can mean some things to the people, but not quite sure what it means there. But we know, overall, it means these people are blessed. Verse 8, God brings him out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox, and he, consume, and he shall consume the nations, his enemies. He shall break their bones and pierce them with arrows, his bows down, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion, who shall rouse him? Blessed is he who blesses you, and cursed is he who curses you. So I broke this down into three things that we that we see here. First off, this is going to be a prosperous people. This is what he's saying to them. They're going to be a prosperous people. Secondly, they're going to be a powerful people. Gag was uh, a great king, but the king that comes out of them is going to be even greater. And the last part is they will be at peace. They will be so powerful. They will be so prosperous. No one will disturb them. They'll see it like a lion laying over there. If that lion's laying down. Let's just let that lion lay down over there. Let's not get that lion all roused up. He'll come over here and, and get us. Verse 10. 
Then Balak's anger was aroused against Balaam and he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies and look, you have bountifully blessed them these three times. So even the phrases were not sure what they mean. He understood them to mean they, he just blessed their socks off. Now see, if you were to go out there and you were to tell those people that their socks were blessed off, they wouldn't know what they meant, what you meant. See, sometimes we can have some of those phrases that mean something to that day and age, but they don't mean anything to, to other people. So he's mad. So Balaam said to Balak, Did I not also speak to your messengers whom you sent to me, saying, If Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord to do good or bad of my own will? What the Lord says that I must speak. And now indeed I am going to my people. Come, I will advise you on what this people will do to your people in the latter days. So days were coming when these things were going to be. And he decided to go on out there and to tell him all that. So in the spirit, he saw some things, but he didn't speak them all out right then. But he saw that what he did speak made him mad. So if there was any chance of getting anything from him, it's gone. So I may as well say it all. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody? They're already mad at you. Say, so may as well just tell them everything. I guess that's what he's kind of thinking right here. Well, you're already mad. I'm not going to get nothing out of this, so I must just tell you the whole thing that I see. Now, he tells them in verse 11, he says, flee to your place. Flee to your place. In other words, you better get out of here quick before I come out there and, and get you. Now, he's not going to because he fears this man. He fears Balaam. He said, I, I said I would greatly honor you, but in fact, the Lord has kept you back from honor. Do you know this is the same tactic that the, the enemy uses against us? The enemy will tell you, because you follow after the Lord, He's keeping you from doing these things. You're not going to have the fun that other people are going to have. You're not going to be able to engage in some of the other things that other people are engaged in. Think of all the things that you miss. You're not going to be able to have that because the Lord is keeping you from these things. And that's what... Balak is telling him, well, I would have done all kinds of good things for you, but the Lord has kept you back from this. You followed after him instead of doing what I wanted. And the Lord has kept you back from it. Just know the enemy tries to do this tactic now. He's going to try and make you think that you have forgone some things, that some things are, are not yours because you follow after God and because you do what the word of God says. Do not listen to him. Don't fall into that. Just know that because you do what the Lord says, Far more is added than is ever taken away. Now, there are some things that you don't get to do. But that's okay. You know, when I was growing up or in college and things, and most of the colleges I was at, they didn't, they didn't in, in, uh, involve themselves in these kind of activities. But I heard of other college students, and they would talk about some of the parties they would go to, and they would get drunk and, uh, you know, not remember what happened the night before. Then they would, uh, uh, when I was at work, and there were other college students around and they were talking about all these things. And they said, you don't get to enjoy all these things. I said, I'm thinking, enjoy what? You don't remember what you did. You throw up in the next day and you're useless. You got these hangovers and stuff. I don't, I don't have any hangovers. I don't, I remember what I do every, every time. It had no appeal to me. But they would try and get me to, to think that, you know, well, you're not able to go out there, not able to do these things, you're not in, enjoying these things. I'm thinking, what enjoyment? 
There's no en- enjoyment. I hear people they say, "Well, I need to. Get, I need a drink." You ever hear anybody say that? And you know they're not talking diet coke or eggnog. <laughs> they're talking something a little stronger than that. And they say, "I need a drink." I thank God I have never had to say the words, "I need a drink." I don't need one. If I'm thirsty, I'll go get myself something, a beverage, <laughs> something to to drink. And I'm thirsty most of the time, so I usually have a beverage close by. No, not always just that. I got we got stuff that we we drink, and I keep it around. And if I get thirsty, then I I, I drink it. But I don't need a drink. And uh, and some of these people, I mean, they need to cuss. I never understood that. I, I don't understand that need. Why do you need to? But you see, the devil's going to try and get you to think that you're missing out on stuff because you follow after after what God says to do. You're not missing out on anything. But that's what he's going to try and get you to, to do. Verse 11, we left off at. Well, we already read 12 and we read down through 14, didn't we? All right, so go over to 15. So he took up his oracle. He's telling them what's going to happen next. This is a very interesting oracle that he will say. The utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, and the utterance of the man whose eyes are opened. The utterance of him who hears the words of God and has knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. Again, he's describing himself here. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult. Now, what he's talking about here is Jesus. He is given a messianic prophecy. And we all know that the, the shepherds followed a star. The only reference we have in the word of God that seems to indicate a star is this one right here. This is it. This man who's not really 100% uh, going after God the way that he should. The Spirit of God came down upon him and he spoke this out. That is the only reference we have to a star. Now, we think that most of the, the teaching of the star that caused the wise men to be looking for the star came from Daniel. That Daniel, in one of his revelations, some that he got from God, got more understanding of this star and passed this on to the Magi. Because the Magi who came were descendants of those of the, the Babylonian group that Daniel was part of. And they collected knowledge, and they collected even knowledge that Daniel put into it. And so that's why they were the only group looking for the star, and no one in Israel was. Because would that, would that verse cause you to look for a star? It wouldn't cause me to look for a star. But Daniel must have gotten something, and he, he taught it to them so that the Magi were coming. Now, it was a good thing that they came. When they came, they brought gifts. And and uh, I, I believe this is true, but it is supposed that the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh, all those things that they brought, uh, helped finance Jesus' ministry because he was never uh, short of money. And he had a treasurer. Judas was a treasurer. And they had so much money, he could actually dip into the treasury. And uh, no one was the wiser. And they were always given to the poor. So it seemed that he had a pretty good amount of, of money. I, I always thought about this though. Joseph and Mary, uh, where did you put that money? Where did you put all that gold? 
I mean, you don't have banks to put it on deposit. So where where'd you put it? Now I'm sure that they had the hand of God and angels around their garden over to stuff and and whatever else might have been going on. But um they they kept that in order for Jesus to be able to, to have that and and finance the, the ministry. Those magi came and they, they brought gifts. Um, a lot of gifts. Probably more than what is just told about in the Word of God. Frankincense, gold, and myrrh. But they came with, with all sorts of stuff. And I'm sure you all know this. There were not three wise men. Three in the, in the pictures that you see with three wise men. Three represents a crowd. There were probably many more. Wise men, and just because there's three wise men or three gifts mentioned, it means one wise man brought frankincense, another wise man brought gold, and another one brought myrrh. They all brought stuff. And this is some of the things that they brought. And you can get into the, what each of those has to do with the ministry of Jesus, but that's not what we're here for today. But if you came out here on Christmas Sunday, and you want to get part of the Christmas message, right there it is, a star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult. And Edom shall be a possession. Seir, also his enemies, shall be a possession, while Israel does valiantly. Out of Jacob, one shall have dominion and destroy the remains of the city. Then he looked on Amalek and he took up his oracle and said, Amalek, the first among the nations, but shall be last until he perishes. Then he looked on the Kenites and he took up his oracle and said, Firm is your dwelling place, and your nest is set in the rock, and nevertheless Cain shall be burned. How long until Asher carries you away captive? Then he looked up his oracle and said, Alas, who shall live when God does this? But ships shall come from the coast of Cyprus, and they shall afflict Asher and afflict Eber, and so shall Amalek until he perishes. So we have Amalek, the Kenites, these are specific ones that are talked about. Now, Amalek is pretty easy for us to know. The Kenites, there's a couple of uh, things that it could have meant that, that it might be. There was uh, one group that was earlier, another group that was later. Um, but it meant something to these people that were hearing this. And basically what it was saying is they're going to be powerful. They're going to come in. They're going to take the, they're going to take the most powerful out. And they're going to take the smallest ones out too. They're going to take them all out. And they will, one will come from Israel and he will rule. And that is Jesus Christ. So this is the things that he spoke. And after he tells these things, he says, So Balaam rose and departed and returned to his place. Balak also went his way. Now it's either that Balaam uh, rose and departed, went all the way back home and then came back, or he went to his place where he was staying there, but it does not seem that he left because if you go down a few more chapters, in chapter 31, Israel kills him. In the land of Moab, or the Midianites. In verse 25, I'm sorry, verse 1 of chapter 25. Now Israel remained in Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the woman of Moab. They invited the people to the sacrifice of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord. Adam the son, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, Every one of you kill his men who were joined to Baal of Peor. So right after we get all this done, and Balaam has has uh, declared four prophecies of blessing upon this people. 
The very next verse, we find out that they're out there sitting. That what happened was that the, the Moabite women came on over and enticed them to, to come on out. And then they invited them, come on, come on over to our, our worship service. Come on over to uh, our sacrifices. We've got some good meat that's going to be sacrificed and, and we can all enjoy it together. And so then they went. And they, and they did this. So the, if you're wondering why all this occurs right after this chapter, it's because of Balaam. Balaam saw that this guy was mad with him and maybe he even feared for, feared for his life. I don't know if that was the case, but he decided that he could find another way to get that blessing that he wanted to have. Because he, he wanted that blessing. And so what he did, well, we'll get, get to that here in just a minute. Let's read on in verse 6. And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel, who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand, and he went after the man of Israel in the tent and thrust both of them through the man of Israel and the woman through her body. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel, and those who died in the plague were 24,000. 24,000 died in the plague, plus the two people who died because of Phineas's spear. Now, we don't always think of priests having spears and doing stuff like this. But apparently this priest was, was good. Now, Aaron, of course, he was the first high priest. His son, Eleazar, he was the next high priest. And Phineas is going to be, the, he's the next one after that. And so Phineas sees that one of the Israelite men, one of the leaders of the Israelite men came and brought his new Midianite girlfriend right into the congregation. Not hiding it. Not feeling like, uh, you know, he's embarrassed. He's uh, going off with foreign women. Worshipping foreign idols. He's not embarrassed about this at all. He just brings her right on in and, uh, you know, just parading around. They're probably walking on through holding hands, something like that. And he sees that and he gets mad like God is mad. And he takes his spear and he just picks it up and he just runs after them and harpoons them both with one shot. Takes them both out. Now, in most societies, people would get in trouble for that. <laughs> That's not looked upon very kindly. But um, but God, God says, all right, because he did this and he picked up my anger, I'm not going to I'm not going to wipe out as many people. He saved a lot of people's lives by picking this up and going. We only heard of this one person who brought somebody into the camp, but there's other people that were guilty of this sin. So the thing they had to do was they had to take all the people that were guilty who had gone up to the Midianite women and had gone up into the sacrifices and had uh, participated in worship of the idols and we got to hang them up. So they hung them, made uh, whatever it is that they had to do for for that, just whether they just threw it over a tree or made something more elaborate. And they, they hung them and they're hanging there, dangling away until they're dead. God said, that's what you're going to do. He doesn't mess around. Now, I thought the word that Balaam spoke was a word of blessing, prosperity, good things going on. How in the world can this be happening? Verse 10, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel, because he was zealous 
with my zeal among them, so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. He said, I might have wiped them all out. I'm so angry at these guys. Therefore say, Behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant of an everlasting priesthood. Because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. Now compare that to what goes on today. When you got people today that are carrying on and doing things that are against the word of God and you have churches that endorse it. You have ministers that say, well, that's not wrong. Uh, that's just the way God is going about and doing things here. And No. God wants people who will pick up the zeal that he has against things that are wrong. And the reason that this is wrong is because he knows it will take Israel in the wrong direction. It will take them away from God. It will take them outside the borders of where they're supposed to be and put them in a place where judgment comes upon them instead of blessing. He doesn't want that to happen to them. And because of his zeal, he showed the children of Israel, you don't just casually get involved with this. You know, we as a, as a nation, there's, there's many churches who just casually gotten involved in, in things that, uh, that involved sin. Not just in, you know, who marries who and, and, uh, not just in who's dating who and those things are, are important. Things that have ended in the death of, of, uh, children. Things, things that have ended in people going through surgeries. And changing themselves so that they're no longer man or no longer woman, and they make themselves into what they want. This is this is against the things of God. I, like I told you, I heard one minister come on out and say, "Well, you know, some I believe that some men that were born in women's bodies and some women were born in men's." But I heard him say, "You see, we got to take up the zeal of what God's word says, and not worry about the consequences, not worry about well, how's the word gonna, world going to take this." That's what God wants. And he was excited to see that Phineas did this and make some promises about Phineas and about his priesthood that would come after him. In Psalms 106, verse 28, it reads this way. They joined themselves also to Baal of Peor, speaking of Israel, and ate sacrifices made to the dead. Thus they provoked him to anger with their deeds, and the plague broke out among them. Then Phineas stood up and intervened, and the plague was stopped. And that was accounted to him for righteousness to all generations forevermore. Now, verse 14 of Numbers 25. Now, the name of the Israelite who was killed, who was killed with the Midianite woman, was Zimri, the son of Salu, a leader of a father's house among the Simeonites. Simeonites. So he's of the tribe of Simeon. And the name of the Midianite woman who was killed was Cosby, the daughter of Zer. He was head of the people of a father's house in Midian. Now, these are not people that you hear too often folks name their children after. But we got their name. Not a great way to get your name in the Bible. But that's what they did. Verse 16, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Harass the, the Midianites and attack them, for they harassed you with their schemes by which they seduced you in the matter of Peor, in the matter of Cosby, the daughter of the leader of the Midianite, their sister, who was killed in the day of the plague because of Peor. So there were leaders on both sides, over in the Midian camp and over in the Israel camp, that were involved with this. When God said to carry this out, He said, get your leaders. 
They need to exercise this judgment. The leaders need to see this is important. And can you imagine being a leader? Maybe you didn't involve yourself in this, but I don't want to. I don't want to go out there and hang nobody. I don't think that's very godly. I don't hear that we had any leaders who did that. But he says here at the end, harass the Midianites. Now this is fulfilled in Numbers 31. We're not going to go over the Numbers 31 entirely. I'll read you a couple of verses from there. But you can go back there and read it yourself if you want to find out the rest of that. In Numbers 31 verse 15, And Moses said to them, Have you kept all the women alive? Because they went out there to, to destroy them, to go out there and, and war against the Midianites. And they killed the men, but they left the women alive. Now, it was the women who were sent over who caused all the problem. I wonder if that had any influence in them leaving them alive. So they they left them alive. Now, if you remember when we were going over the, the uh, Samson, you remember Samson liked Philistine women. He had a, a weakness for that. He was supposed to be a deliverer from the Philistines, but he kept going over in the Philistines' camp and then having girlfriends that were, that were Philistines. And we know, of course, the famous one who got his hair all cut off. But he just had a, it seemed like a weakness for the Philistine women. Well, he told you then, Philistine women don't dress like his Israelite women. And he probably liked that. And they probably didn't talk like Israelite women. And he must have liked that. Well, I imagine the same thing is true with the Midianite women. They probably didn't dress the same way that the, the Jewish girls did. And probably didn't talk the same way that the Jewish girls did. And that probably was something of an appeal to some of these guys. Don't let those things pull you over. It will not be for anything good. So he said, have you kept all the women alive? Look, these women caused the children of Israel through the council of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. So what had happened was... Balaam, after he gets done and he says all these blessings, he knows I cannot say anything that God hasn't said because if I do, it won't come about and I'll be looked at as a fraud. So I have to say what what the Lord is saying and he may say what other spirits are saying, but if the Lord has said it, that's the supreme authority. He has to repeat that. But he, he pulls them afterwards and he says, look, this is what you can do. If you want to get the children of Israel into a place where they're vulnerable, Send your women out and lure them in and then bring them into the sacrifices. And if you will do this, God will turn against his own people because they're not supposed to go out there and to, and to worship these idols and to go after and do these particular things. And so he counseled them to do that. And so they got some of the women and they went on over there to try and tempt the men. Because generally it works out better for the women to tempt the men than the men to tempt the women. Revelation chapter 2 verse 14 reads this way. But I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. He taught them to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual morality. That's what he told them to do. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15, 
In fact, if you can, get ready the first and second verse. I'll not give you that one, but I had it on my phone. But my phone's being used other places right now, so I can't, I can't use that. But Second Peter chapter 15, chapter 2, verse 15. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. So you can kind of get an idea of what Peter thinks of this man. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he was rebuked for his iniquity. Now, the people that he's speaking about, if we can go back to verse 1, if you've got that. Second Peter chapter 2, in verse 1. The people, the false teachers that he's speaking of, he describes here in the very beginning of this chapter. We'll have it up here for you in just a, just a second. I had my backup way all ready to go. Second Peter 2, verse 1. Same chapter, just up. If you can go backwards on, on that one. Well, these people that he was, uh, that he was, he was there. But they, okay, we got it. But there arose false prophets among, also among the people, as among you also. There shall be false teachers who shall privately bring in destruction. Heresies, denying even the master that bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Keep on going. We're going to go all the way up to verse 3. But there arose false prophets also among the people, as among you also there shall be false teachers who shall privately, uh, privately bring in destruction. Let's see if we can get over to verse 2. No, we'll go 2 and... Can we pull up verse 2 still? We'll get there with it. That's two, that's verse, that's 1B. Yeah. Alright, I'll give it to you anyway. He's talking about the, you can go back there and read it on your own. <laughs> they had these false teachers and they, they were working in their way. He said they're coming in. They're gonna work their way in in the congregation, they're going to bring heresies, they're going to bring false teachings, they're going to bring doctrines that appeal to the people for the purpose of monetary gain. He said, this is what's going to happen. They're going to follow after the things that Balaam did. And they're going to bring it into your very midst. He says, when they do that, know who they are. Know what's going on. This is the same thing that happened to Balaam, which means it wasn't Balaam's idea. This is what the devil tries to do. He tries to get people in your life who are going to bring false doctrines to get you to go after a false way and they're going to benefit from it and you're you're going to lose out. He says, be aware that they're there. Don't buy into it. Now, one more verse of scripture over in Jude. Jude talks about this, verse 11. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the era of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Now, much of what is talked about with Balaam is prophet. He was looking for the payday. And that temptation of the payday, 
can cause a lot of Christians to have a problem. We have to be careful. We do not compromise anything for the payday. Just because it seems, well, if I just, if I just lie a little bit here, if I just don't say the right thing here, and the temptation would come up, but, uh, but, but don't give into it. And don't start, don't let it start small. Don't let it just, uh, well, uh, that person, I, I, they should have charged me more money for it, but they didn't. Glory to God, I got blessed. No, go back and tell them. Don't, that's a, just a way the enemy is just going to try and pull you in. Now, if you go back and tell them, hey, you didn't charge me for all this, and they say, you know what? Thanks for telling us. Go on. Now you've been blessed. But when you don't tell them about it, that's not good. You want to make sure you go and you, and you tell them. I put this in your outline for you. The only blank you got. When the enemy cannot pronounce a curse upon you, he will try to lead you into one. The enemy is going to try and put different people in your life and try and pronounce a curse upon you. The only effect it can have is if you buy into it. Brother Hagen used to talk about uh, one church he, he would go to and they had this one lady. She was a prophetess. They called her a prophetess. I have my reasons to doubt it. But that's what they called her. And they would say whoever she would bless was blessed and whoever she would curse would curse. So don't get on her bad side. That's what they would say about her. Almost, almost the exact same thing they were saying about Balaam. And, uh, and he would say, he says, he says, I don't care if she curses me. <gasps> you shouldn't say that. Don't, you do not want to get on this. He said, I, I double dog dare. This is his words. I double dog dare her to curse me. <laughs> He said, but, but she better make it her hat size. Because if she curses me, it's coming back on her. <laughs> and see, that's the attitude he had about it. Don't be in fear because certain unsaved people or people who say that they're saved want to put a curse upon you. Don't let them do it. Just laugh at them. That's, that's not something they can do. Don't go around in fear. Don't go around fearing for your job, fearing for your money. Feeling for your health, whatever it might be. Don't let it go. As God said, he did not need Balaam to go on a mission to bless Israel. But Balaam wanted to find permission to be able to go. Because he wanted to find a way to get that, that blessing. Now, if you went over in chapter Numbers 31, and you continue to read there towards the end, you'll find out that they killed Balaam. That he was still in the land at that point. So either he had gone home and come back, which would be an awful long place for him to go, or he went back to whatever place he was staying and and stayed in there and then continued to counsel them. But when Israel came on through, they made sure to kill him. They took the five kings out, but they also took him out. People who come against you, God will be against them. Now, let's take a look at their borders that were here. Does, does Balaam stay within his borders? Now, when he first went to God, God gave him his, his desiredness. Don't curse them, for they are our blessed people. Now, prophecy one, two, three, and four, does he stay within the borders of where he's supposed to be? He does. But once he left there, he gave counsel that went against them being a blessed people. Because it would take them out of that. He went beyond his borders. 
He had an area that he was supposed to operate in. He didn't operate in it. He went outside of it. And he lost his life. Whatever riches he got, he didn't get to enjoy them for very long. Because he was dead. You look at Israel. Did Israel stay within the borders that they had? Well, God's law told them about sexual conduct. And they went against that. It talked about worship of idols. And they went against that. It talked about eating food sacrificed to idols. And they went against that. It talked even about um, becoming connected to people who worshiped idols. Don't do it. They're going to lead you into our idolatry. That's what the Word of God said. The Word of God is never against interracial marriage or, or, or people of different continents or different nationalities married. Never against it. It is against people who worship a different God getting married. Becoming joined. That's what He's against. Don't do it because the one that is not worshiping God, will pull the other one down. That's how it will work. Israel did not stay within the borders of what they had. They stepped out. Do you know your own borders? Now, when we started the series, we talked about Israel had borders. God said, it goes from here to here and here to here. This is the borders. The Garden of Eden had borders. Things in the Old Testament, they had borders. Lands had borders. They had places for these these things to be. This is why you hear so much fight against defending borders. Because the devil does not like borders. He likes people to overextend past them. No matter what it is. And of course, the, the enemy's kingdom, what he wants to try and do is get into more of a global viewpoint where all borders are gone. But God's in the borders. Yeah, that's your land all the way up into that river. Right up that river, that's where you stop. All the way out to this sea. All the way over to this spot. He, he named uh, the spots. And these were borders that you just couldn't move or move aside. These were, this is where this border is. But do you know where your borders are? Or, and you can write this down if you want to, do you just go wherever you want? Do you think whatever you please? Do you say whatever you feel or do you do whatever you desire? I see some Christians will do this. Some Christians don't just go wherever they want to go. Well, I want to go over here and I'll just go. And um, I want to think this. I'll just think it. Well, I want to say this because I feel it. Have you ever had that? Because you feel something, you want to say it? I've got a right to say it because I feel it. A lot of people are mixed up what the rights are. It's amazing how some of the things that people think are rights cost somebody else money. How is that? How can your right cost somebody else money? That doesn't seem right. But we'll do that. And people will do whatever they desire. Well, I desire. I want to do that. So I'm just going to do it. But you see, when you became a born-again Christian, God gave you certain borders, didn't He? Did He say you can go wherever you want? He already told the children of Israel, he said, don't go over there worshiping with those idols. Stay out of there. Don't go over that group over there. He told them certain places they weren't supposed to go. Now this particular group, they decided to go. Hey, we're not supposed to go over there worshiping those idols. Yeah, but we don't know what they do. Let's go find out what they do. I'm curious. Maybe we can witness to them. 
whatever it is, they, they're going to go where they're not supposed to go. But you see, they knew from the Word of God, these are my borders. This is where I'm supposed to be. I just can't go anywhere. Now, the more that you walk with the Lord, the more He tells you, don't go here. Sometimes you may be going into work. We've heard a number of stories. People that worked in the trade center when uh, the day that it went down. People that had uh, other disasters that came up. I heard people that were over, had vacations planned over where they had the tsunami. And um, other disasters go on. And the Spirit of God said, don't go. Now, you could say, well, the Spirit of God should just stop the tsunami from happening. But the Spirit of God told you, don't go. If the Spirit of God says, don't go, don't go. He says, don't leave yet. Don't leave yet. But you got to stay sensitive. you got to stay lit. you got to listen to that voice and keep developing it. Because God will keep you in the right places. Just because you want to go doesn't mean that you should. Now, what about in the area of thinking? Doesn't the Word of God says that there are certain things you ought to think on and certain things you ought not to think on? Whatsoever things are good, pleasant, you know, think on these things. So he says, these things think on. Don't think on these things. Don't think on disasters. And don't think on tragedies. And don't think on despair. And don't, don't be thinking on those things. So what's the enemy going to do? He's going to feed you thoughts to think contrary to what God says. Because he wants you to think on those things. God says, don't think on those things. Here's a border right there. Is it good? No. Don't think on it. Stay out of there. This is this is not a place to go. Stay out of this one. What about worry, fear, and anxiety? Outside of my borders. I'm not supposed to go there. So don't go in there. But the enemy is always trying to get us. Well, you know, if you don't worry at least a little bit, you just you just don't care. <laughs> no, don't don't be messing with all that. Stay out of the area of worry. Fear and anxiety. That's a border. Border is stay here in the area of faith. Don't go over here in this area. Alright, I'll stay here. What's the devil trying to do? He's trying to get you over here. Because if he can get you over here, he can beat you. Can't beat you over here. I can beat you over here. Come on over here. And some Christian did just wander right on over. Get outside the borders where the protection is. And go right on over and expect God to protect them over there. You can't just think whatever you please. You can't just say whatever you feel. Just because you feel it. Well, I don't feel well. Well, I don't feel strong. Let the weak say, I am strong. That's what the Word of God says. Let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I have no money. No. Let the poor say, I am rich. That's what you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to just say whatever you feel. Just because you feel it doesn't mean you should say it. Well, I need to get this off my chest. Probably shouldn't be on there in the first place. <laughs> just don't go out speaking whatever it is you feel. you got to get those feelings under control. Well, you just don't know who I am. I just don't do things like that. I know what the Word of God says. i got to go with what the Word of God says. Don't just do whatever you desire. 
Well, I feel like doing this. I want to do this. So I'm going to do it. <laughs> no, you don't do it. God has given you borders. He's given you a place that you need to function around. And you need to stay within that. But most people, we're not on a mission. We're looking for permission. I want, to, I want God to give me permission to go out here and do this. But God gives you a mission. When He gives you a mission, He gives you a mission statement. You got your mission statement, you just keep going over the mission statement. You go over that mission statement, say, this is what God told me to do. And God's mission statements are really short. Remember with uh, Joshua? Be strong and a good courage. A couple of verses, two verses. He got a whole mission statement. He just go over that. This is what I got to do. So when he faces Jericho, what's it say? Be strong and of good courage. I guess I shouldn't be afraid. This is what you got to do. Now I told you, just in this example that we've been using here with this one, you know, I told you just getting back into running game again and, and the things I was doing. God gave me a, a basically a statement. I read it off to you. And it came up in my spirit. He didn't speak to me audibly. He didn't give it to me out loud. But I, I knew exactly what it was. And I'll tell it to you again. For It has a, has a purpose for something. He told me, he said, five to six miles per run, five days a week, four or five days a week, and, and working some biking. So that's what I did. Now we had an opportunity came up this week. How many know we had some fun weather this week? And I went through the entire last winter restricted on what I could do. I could, you could ride a bike in some weather, but there's some, you know, there's some weather you just can't ride a bike in. And I was out there some dangerous times. But, you know, you, the danger level picks up. You can go run and nasty stuff and the danger level just isn't there. But you're on a bicycle, the danger level is up higher. And there's some places that just, my bike wasn't built for, for that. So I'm looking at nasty weather outside and I gotta stay in. And I didn't like that. And so this week I was excited because we had bad weather coming in this week. Monday, it's going to be snow and rain all morning. Yes. My running buddy John, he's around. I said, you ready for a run in this today? He says, I am ready. We waited all morning and just kept pushing it off, pushing it off. Wednesday afternoon, pushed it off. Finally, it's nighttime. It's dark. We just said, forget it. Let's just go. So we go. It lightly snows through half of the run. I am mad. Just disappointed. We got nothing out of this. I mean, it was cold. It was 32, something like that. It was just falling down. We got nothing out. We got gypped. I feel like I got gypped. Nothing. So, but the next day is looking better. The next day is looking good. Rain the entire day. 32 degrees rain was probably going to be freezing rain and, and just, oh, we were excited. I was excited. And it was supposed to rain the entire day. And then we get there in the morning and at five o'clock, all this stuff is going out of the way. And they had the group run going on that night and I wanted to make the group run. But by the time the group run comes along, all the rain is gone. It's all gone. So if I wait for the group run, I miss the bad weather. If I go out in the bad weather, I miss the group run. So what I did was I went back to the mission statement. You see, I could go to God and say, God, can I do this? Then I'm asking for permission. I have a mission. I went back to the, to the, to the mission statement. Five to six miles per run. Five days a week. Put in some biking. So I thought, all right. So that would mean that I could do a run in the morning and a run at night. Stay within the parameters and I'm good. 
I don't need to go back and ask. I, I was given the mission statement. And so I, I changed the entire week working out what I did so that I stayed within what he said to do and didn't violate any of it and did a short run for the group run so I could test out the shoes that they were bringing in and got to have the nasty weather and, 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 and it worked well. And it was good. But you see, I, I had the, the statement. I, I had my borders. Here's my borders. Five to six miles per run. Five days a week. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying this to you so you understand. God will give you borders. So I have those borders. I go back. What's the border? All right. Now, I'm not saying that forever I'm five to six miles per run. I'm saying for right now. And right now, it gets a little bit tough because I feel really strong. I feel really good. I feel like I could blow that five or six mile barrier out of the water. But I have to get in my spirit. I can't feel it. I have to hear it. When God speaks to me in my spirit and says, you can go out there and do that now. I can go out there and do that. So I did that, stayed within it, didn't increase the mileage over the week, kept everything right where we needed to be. And uh, it was a good week. It was a good day. We got some nasty weather in. And it was, it was fun. Now I know nasty weather doesn't mean anything to you and y'all rather just stay inside the house and <laughs> some of you anyway, some of you guys are out there all the time. Al's out there all the time and he's out in there all day long. I just go out there and running it. But he's out there all, all day long working. He's, he's a tough guy. <laughs> I know you don't, but you see, you don't want to do that so you're not trying to go out in that area. But there are areas that you want to go to and God will give you borders of how to operate in it. There, and we're, we're going to show you this in the Word of God down the road here. There are borders where your faith operates. And your borders are different from my borders. And if you try and operate within my borders, you will fail. If I try and operate within someone else's borders, I will fail. I say I like those borders better than mine, and I go over there, I'm in disobedience. But you see, i got to know where my borders are. And I've learned to grab these things from the Word of God. That's why I told you before, I, I, I do these things, but I don't teach it. But this is just second nature. I, this is just the way I think. Whenever I step out to do something, I'm always thinking, where am I supposed to be? What's the sphere of where I'm supposed to operate? Because I know it's been defined. And for you, it's been defined. For some of you, God has redefined your diet. And we always come back to, you know, we come back to diets, we come back to exercise, and we come back, you know, dating. Because that's what I hear mostly you guys are talking about. If you guys would talk about other things, I'd tell you other stuff. Right? But that's what you're always asking me questions about or talking about, so that's what I, I would take those things and, and bring it into there. But if you want to change your, your diet and God gives you down in your spirit, He'll give it to you down in your spirit, He'll tell you things to do in your diet. And it doesn't matter what you're trying to do, whether you're trying to lose weight, lower your blood, blood uh, pressure or whatever it is you're trying to do God can give you some stuff in your diet that will help you with that but once he gives it to you and he tells you this is the sphere within you operate stop trying to go and get permission to do something different if if God has put pizza off of your your borders don't be going to him and say God can I have some pizza today see you're on a mission see most people are not on missions they keep looking for permission. You know, it's just like if you tell your, your child, or if you were told this as a child, you may have two cookies. How many have ever heard those words? 
Have you ever said those words? You gave the mission statement, didn't you? You may have two cookies. There's the mission statement. What are the, what's the child always trying to do? Operate outside of the mission and get permission. Can I have, can I just have a third? Can I, can I, can I just, I don't, I didn't have any cookies yesterday. Can I just have it? And we're always trying to, we're trying to push, we're trying to get out there and, and because this is where the enemy's trying to pull us. He's trying to get us over here. If, if I got borders on what I'm supposed to be thinking, he's trying to get me to think something different. If I got borders on what I'm supposed to be eating, he's trying to get me to eat something different. If God has told you, if you'll get out there and exercise, you'll change some things. And you don't do it. I'm outside, operating outside of my borders. Whatever it is that we do, don't operate outside your borders. Know what God has said to do and do them. Stay with it. Because it will change your life. It will help you out immensely. I don't think this is on your outline. It's on mine. You can write it down if you want to. Faith without borders is really faith without purpose. Faith without borders is really faith without purpose. It is lost and wandering. Don't let your faith be without borders. When God gives you borders, he gives you an area where you can operate. And if I know where my faith operates, when the devil steps into my territory, I nail him. When he's outside of his territory, I leave him be. We'll show you some stuff in the Word. It is amazing how many Christians try and go outside their territory to mess with the devil. And that's why they have such problems in their life. You'll see people in the Word of God who had the same problem. I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to see it in the, in the Word. But don't have weak faith. Faith without borders is really faith without purpose. Get yourself a mission. Whatever it is that you're trying to do, whatever it is that your faith is trying to do, if you got your faith working on some body part trying to get it going again, if you got your faith working on, on something in your body, blood pressure is not right. Whatever it might be, whatever is not right in, and you're targeting your faith against it, then God is going to give you borders. If you're targeting your faith against things in the area of finances, then God's going to give you some borders. Stay out of this store. Right? You got certain stores that just kind of mess with you. Sister Ethel, how many times she'd tell us some stories about that? She, she, God gave her some borders and she stayed out of it. I'm not going over there. That's what you sometimes have to do. If God, if you're going to do some things financially, then He's going to speak some things to you. Don't spend this money here. Don't do these things here. And He's going to give you borders. You got to operate within that. You know what the devil's going to try and do? Pull you out. He's going to try and get you to go into those stores or into those restaurants or into those things doing the, doing whatever. He's, he's going to keep pulling and keep pulling and keep pulling. But if you get yourself on a mission and stop, keep, keep trying to find permission, but stay on that mission. Now, this is what I'm doing. This is what I am out to do. And you, you stay out there and you do it. I'll tell you what, you'll change your faith, change your life when you, when you operate this way. Would y'all stand up with me? Glory to God. How many of you people that are here, 
How many of you would say that you are, you're, you have faith for something, but you can't really say that you have a mission statement for it? I don't really know that I have my borders lined out for that thing. But there's something that you're believing for, something that you're believing to change, something you're believing to alter in your life. But really, if you were asked to give a mission statement on it, like I was, I've given you, uh, one for, for just for me. But you don't have that mission. You don't, you can't go back to the mission statement. How many of you would say that's, that's you for, for an area in your life? All right. I'm going to pray for you here this morning. You can just stay where you're at, but I'm going to pray for you here this morning that God gives that mission statement to you. And we've, we've read a few of these in the Word of God. But there are a, there's a bunch of these faith mission statements in the Word. We told you Joshua's, Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 and 9. That's a, that's a mission statement for him. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate upon it day and night that you may be careful to do all that is written therein. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. So what's he do? What's he, should he do every day? Alright, we got to do. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate upon it day and night. So if I meditated on the day, but didn't do it at nighttime, I didn't, I didn't follow that mission statement, did I? Day and night. That's what I need to do. So all he had to do was pull that mission statement out and he had to keep reading that over and just keep doing it. God will give you a mission statement for whatever it is you're trying to do. And the good thing about God, they're short. He doesn't give you a book. He gives you a nice short one. We'll we'll be looking at some of these in the Word of God because they're fantastic to see. And really, it's borders. God is giving Joshua right there in those verses some borders. If you have a day where you're not meditating in the Scriptures... You've gone past your borders. You're not operating within the field of where I told you to operate. But when you operate and you do what God says and you stay within those borders, do you know the power of God that is on, uh, that is available to you? And your confidence will grow. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that every person here who raised their hand, they know that there's something that's out there that they need to believe for, they need to, to stand for, they need to go after. They're in pursuit of. I thank you, Father, that down in their spirit, you put in them a mission statement. Something that they can grab hold of. And whenever something comes up in their life, they simply compare it to the mission statement they have. They say, no, this is outside the borders where I'm supposed to be. Oh no, I can do that one. That one's within what I can, what I can do. I thank you, Father, that every person who raises their hand, that you'll open up your word to them, you'll speak some things to them, and they will know down in their spirit where they can operate and what they shall do. And as we continue to look at this in the coming weeks, I thank you that you help define our borders, show us where we have the opportunity to operate, and to be content operating where we're called to, where we're supposed to be, and not give in to the discontent that the enemy constantly tries to put upon us to pull us to where we shouldn't be. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Um, it's a privilege to be able to just um, greet you on this I guess we have one more Sunday in this month, but we're so grateful for all the things that God has done for each and every one of us throughout the year. 
And um, we take this message, um, I'm taking it personally, that in the new year, I want to have uh, purposes and uh, desires and things that God wants me to do defined. So I will certainly be um, listening for uh, installment two, three, and four as they come, and also going back to listen to this message because um, they build. So um, I trust that each and every one of you, as you can, go back and just listen to what we've heard and that we can continue to build, and that way we will have a complete picture as what God wants us to do. Um, as far as praise reports, I don't have any specifics, but I just thank God uh, that I'm able to be here today, and I know each and every one of you uh God has blessed you in some way. So we're just all grateful for what God has done. And I want to just call your attention to our bulletin um, after service or sometime this week. If you could just read through it, that would be great. But we want to let you know that there's no midweek service. and But we will have um, our Christmas Eve candlelight service. It starts at 6 one Tuesday, and um, we ask that you all come out, and we really have a wonderful time. The service will um, usually involve our uh, some carols, and pastor will bring a short message, and it only lasts about an hour, so it doesn't take a lot of time out of your week, and it's a good time to just uh, fellowship uh, before Christmas. And um, we will have, like I said, just consult your bulletin. We have some more things in there that will be really interesting. God bless each and every one of you. If I had a card that could say all the things in my heart that uh, I'm so grateful for, um, each of you would be on that card because you brought so much joy into my life personally. And I thank God that as we fellowship together that we can do that for each other. So go and have a good rest of your day and um, good week. And I'd like to say uh, hopefully you will all be here on Tuesday. But if I don't see some of you on Tuesday, have a blessed and prosperous Christmas. God bless you all.